Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. And we are back for another exciting, fun-filled week. Yeah, and tonight we talked to author Michael Brown. Man, this was cool. Yeah, he he had a lot of cool things. Uh, I like when we talk to people and we can kind of go all over the place. We don't have to just stick with one topic. But what terrifies me, and you'll hear this when in the show, Yeah, we had a brief discussion on haunted objects and how they may or may not be dangerous in your house or just in general antiques in your house yeah and that they They may bring in they may bring in like a negative energy or have something attached to them and i am someone that grew up with antiques my 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 grandma's house my mom's house every house was filled with antiques and Besides being terrified of this picture of George Washington when I was little, which had more to do with an episode of Unsolved Mysteries than I think the picture being haunted, I, I can't say I ever was scared of anything or felt anything negative from the antique. So, and I have such a love for those like old things and old books. Well, so do I. That but I, I sometimes feel like if, if, like in the movie Labyrinth, you have no power over me. That <laughs> you have no power over me. That is, that like if you don't let if something is attached to like an old item or a book or something, but it's, you know, love conquers all. You know what I mean? Oh like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's why my things don't have attachments and weird things. Because like the little imp demon that came with my book was like, mm, this one's not cool. She doesn't work. She, well, it ties. She into, loves this book. <laughs> it ties into a lot of what we talked about. I, I don't know. Too. I'm just going all over the place. But no, I and maybe you're right. Maybe it is who the person is. And you tend to be, and I and I mean this all. I mean, what I'm going to say is, I mean, I mean this all in a very friendly way. You tend to be a very positive person. You're you're a more up person. Well, and if you're someone that maybe that maybe just like how people are more susceptible to depression or uh, anxiety or anything like that, stress. Uh, there's people out there that I believe are more susceptible to maybe paranormal energies or negative energies or uh, things like that. So. I guess if your antique might come with something negative and you're that type of impressionable person. You're a sponge. Maybe. Then maybe you sense it and it affects you. But if you're someone that's able to deflect those things, like maybe I'm like Care Bear staring all my antiques and books. So you just rolled your eyes. Labyrinth and Care Bear. What is wrong? I'm a child of the 80s. What's wrong with that? You're still a child. Oh, my God. You're still a child. So if anyway. I go outside the studio, yep. there are piles of toys everywhere. Let me ex- everywhere. let me explain why there's piles of toys everywhere because okay. I have all of my old toys from the 80s and recently I was going through bins to try and organize things and these toys have been in like my grandma's basement forever so they smell like like mildew. So I got to wash them and I got to take care of them and organize them better so they don't get all smushed and weird. But that's why there's piles of toys everywhere. Yeah, great. And and baby clothes that were mine from the 80s that my, my, my grandparents and mom, they can't throw anything away. So that's where I get it from, my hoarding. You're hoarding. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, I had a really good time. I know you did too. It was a really, really cool conversation yeah. we had with Michael H. Brown. Tell us a little bit about Michael Brown. Well, I want to know all about him, Amber. Michael Brown is the author of 29 books. He's known initially for his groundbreaking reportage on the New York Love Canal toxic waste crisis. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I do remember when that was... And you can wiki that one. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information on that. It was a pretty yeah. horrible situation. Horrid. That they that town was actually built to be like the model city back in the day. And then it over time became like a toxic waste dump. And then as Niagara Falls grew, they just started building houses on that property. And then people got leukemia and got sick. And it was like horrible. Gross. Yeah. So he's penned books on everything from the mafia to the search for the first anatomically modern human woman using DNA. Since 1991, he has written Christian books, including best-selling The Final Hour, The Mm -hmm. Other Side, and Laying Waste. In his days as a journalist, his work appeared in magazines such as The New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic Monthly, Reader's Digest. And he's appeared on shows such as Today, Nightline, Phil Donahue, Joan Rivers, Sally Jesse Raphael, and, which everyone uh, is a little sentimental about here, Coast to Coast with Art Bell. He lives yes, in Florida now with his wife, Lisa, and three children. Please enjoy our conversation with Michael H. Brown.
Mr. Michael Brown, thank you so much for taking some time to come talk to us here on Ghostly Talk. Welcome to the show. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, pretty well. Nice to be with both of you. Thank you very much. You know, and we we receive. I don't know. You know, I don't remember how we always get in contact with people. Sometimes it just. I don't know. It's maybe just part of the ether. I don't know. <laughs> I forgot how we we came in contact, but um, you have a new you have a new book out or a newer book. It's called "Lying Wonders, Strangest Things," uh, which is, from what I understand, uh, it's kind of a, a series of stories uh, in in well, ghost stories, basically. Uh, am I correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it is supernatural. They're not all ghost stories, but they cover everything from ghosts and haunted places to to uh, UFOs and strange creatures and so forth. So yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a there's a wide panoply uh, here, but uh, yeah, I mean most of it is uh, is supernatural, including of course the the first the first chapel, uh, the chapter of the book is probably the most chilling. Really, and if we may ask, what is that? What does that entail? Well, that involved a case um, in in Manila back in the fifties uh, that really. Uh, I wasn't made aware of, and I've been following ghosts uh, for since I was a kid. Um, but uh, back then in 1952, there was a Filipino named Cornelio Closa Jr. And at the time, he was just in his teen years. He was 13. Okay. And he was walking with a friend uh, from school across a field uh, one day. And uh, he started to point to something uh, across the field, I guess in front of a, like a wall, brick wall. And uh, he stopped in his tracks. Uh, it was, his eyes, his friend said, were, were, were wide. They were nearly bulging out. And he, cause he said he saw this girl in a long white dress beckoning him, you know. Yeah. Uh, reminds you of some of those hitchhikers' uh, stories. But uh, uh, he, went up, he, he went up to this, uh, whatever it was that was invisible to his uh, friend, and from that moment on, Scott, his, uh, his personality radically uh, changed. Uh, this this mild-mannered uh, uh, kid who was a good student became a very poor student and anything but mild-mannered. He became uh, bellicose. He, he was getting in fights all the time, okay. uh, raging at people. And uh, anyway, just to cut to the uh, uh, chase, to use the cliche, um, <laughs> it seemed like he was possessed. And it wasn't just your normal poltergeist phenomena that was occurring around him, although that, that did occur also from what I understand. But he had this phenomenon I hadn't heard about before, whereby people, including his entire classroom and a teacher, people would see him disappear in front of their eyes. His parents saw it, ministers saw it, visitors saw it, and, and so forth. And the, his school teacher had a nervous breakdown. He would just disappear, and he would say he went off with that woman. Um, she would take his hand, and they'd be off. He sometimes disappeared for, for days. And his father even boarded up the house to keep him inside, and it didn't matter. He, he still would be gone. Um, finally, at the end of everything, he ended up going to a, a uh, kind of a revival meeting. I guess there was an evangelist there. And... Uh, and he went through, I guess you would call it an exorcism or a deliverance or, or whatever you want to term it. Yeah. And he, he saw this uh, beautiful woman or girl in a long white dress turn into a creature, into, into, like an, into a demon. And, uh, but that was the end of this, this episode. Well, and that, this exorcism that you're talking about, I'm assuming this this young boy described that 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 that's what he saw this woman become. Am yeah, I correct? afterwards that's what he that's what he explained to the minister and others. Okay, and he just would disappear. He would vanish. Okay. I mean, right in front of their eyes. He, he vanished, and uh, while one minister who would come to his house, his father summoned a minister. He vanished on the lap while he was sitting on the lap of the minister. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it was it was a very unusual case, and and uh, I'd never heard of anything quite like this before. I guess you'd call it a cloak of invis- invisibility. Yeah. Because um, I I don't know how well how otherwise to term it. Did he, did the little boy 
ever say where he may I mean he said he was he went he would go off with the woman, right? That's what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Did he ever describe from your research, did he ever describe where he may have went with the woman? Did he ever mention that in, in any, any, I imagine, any interviews? Uh, you know, I don't recall. Okay. Um, I don't think that there was uh, much, if any, detail on that, but there may have been some. Um, I don't remember any detail whatsoever about that. Most of the information comes from the the evangelist, whose name was Sumrall, and, uh, and he didn't uh, detail that. Okay. I mean, who knows? He may have not remembered. Right. <laughs> a lot of times you hear about things like this and people get pulled off into who knows what. Well, and I think I read in the, because I read part of the story in, yeah, in yeah. Uh, Michael's book. And I think I even, if correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but then when he would disappear, it would leave like this disgusting smell that would cause yes. people to throw up. Yes. Uh, it, would, it would be sulfuric. Uh, yes, it would, it would be very uh, nauseating. And we know what that's associated with. It's, right. It's uh, it's a classic tie-in to possession. Yeah, uh, this happens, and one of the things I find peculiar is that that type of odor is also um, attendant to a lot of uh, sightings of these strange creatures, Bigfoot, L- Loch Ness monster, as well as some UFO cases. So aliens, you know, yeah, you gotta you gotta look at this askance, and uh, or, or at least with a different perspective than heretofore. It's still freaky. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I've never heard of that story either. Yeah. I mean, that and that does have that it's unusual freaky. characteristic of this kid just disappearing. Yeah, and and saying, "Oh, you know, I followed the lady." Like, no parent wants to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I followed the lady, and then where's my kid for two days? Well, and, yeah. well, and I think I read too in the story yeah. that he he was like a mild mannered kid. Yeah, and then became just said. like a complete little yeah, jerk. Oh, did he say said. that already? Yeah, okay, Michael I was said, reading yeah. something. Yeah, Way so I mean, right? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, Way fail. to listen to the guest, Amber. <laughs> Way to go. See what happens, Michael. Jeez. Sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> you know what, what? What's what's further interesting is that right around the same time, in the same city of Manila, you had a case of a. Um, 17-year-old girl, she was actually taken off the street. She had been a street prostitute because she came from a very troubled home. When they threw her in the uh, local clink in, into the, the jail there, yeah. um, she exhibited unbelievable signs of, uh, of possession. And in her case, uh, bite marks, uh, really they looked like they were inflicted by fangs, would materialize on her arms on her legs, on the back of her neck, try biting yourself on the back of your neck. And no one could explain it. They, this was appearing in front of, uh, even the mayor of Manila went to see her and saw these things appear. Yeah. Uh, the, the police did and so forth. It was a terrible case. Her name was Clarita. And there is going to be a movie about her, uh, from what I understand, in a, in a few months. Oh, really? Yes. That was a dangerous, this was a real dangerous case. You had two, two deaths that were attributed to this, to this uh, case, whereby she got angry in one case at a, at a doctor and said, you're going to die, and he died the next day yeah. of, no, of no known cause. Uh, this is all, in, uh, I'm getting this all from newspapers in the Philippines. Yeah. These, I mean, regular daily newspapers, not, not, not tabloids, uh, not not uh, anything you see in a supermarket. This, these were this was a running story in the daily newspapers because it involved the mayor of uh, Manila and and the whole jail. And also there was a uh, jail official who got into an argument with her, and she also her voice would turn into a, a different type of uh, growling type voice, and she threatened him, and he died right afterwards. Oh my God. Um, but uh, matter of fact, the the archdiocese there, the Catholic, uh, when they when they were sought out for help, uh, declined to become involved because of the danger of the situation. But um, you you had uh, w- uh, an evangelist who came in and and, and quickly tended to it, and and uh, the girl became normal after yeah. again a deliverance. But uh, it's funny that this would happen in the same area around the same time. Well, you know the uh, the whole idea of possession. You know, it, I think it's hard not to be fascinated by by it if you're if you study the paranormal or you study weird stuff. Uh, even if you don't, I think I think people are drawn to this idea because uh, 
I mean, well, it's disturbing as hell because, I mean, you're fighting an unseen force, right? This is what this whole thing's about. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's lots of possession movies out there, and they try to portray it. I think they all try to portray it the best they, they can. I've never seen anybody possessed myself, so I don't really know. But I do know how 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 stressful that would be. And I, I think stressful is kind of an understatement for a situation like this. If you're a parent and you're watching your child go through this stuff and you can't help them. And that chills me to the bone thinking about that because you have, you have no control over the situation whatsoever. You have a child, for like in this case, for example, that's disappearing. You have no idea that, how to stop this. Your anxiety is probably through the roof. Because you don't know when the child's going to just disappear again and go away for how, who knows how long, right? That's the most troubling part of this to me. That's what disturbs me the most about it, I think. Yeah. And any other case where people, uh, you have two deaths in a very short, yeah. within days yeah. uh, of each other. And, and both of them were threatened by the voice coming through this Clarita Villanueva. Um, so uh, this is serious business. There's no question about that. But also... There's no room for fear when there's when when there's fear involved. These entities, these demons, um, spirits, feed off of that. Matter of fact, I think in haunted I, uh, situations, I've been looking at haunted houses since the mid 1970s when I was a cub newspaper reporter and and did some feature reporting on local haunts. You know, okay. um, and I think that a lot of times. Uh, ghosts, disembodied spirits or demons, whatever they may be, and they can be either one, um, they, they create bumps in the night. They create fear because they feed off that. They're parasites. They need it. And uh, they also create anxiety and they create anger and a lot of other emotions that, uh, that energize them. And yeah. I, I, certainly that's the case with possession. Well, I was going to say, too, the idea or, you know, the construct of possession, uh, you know, there's been a lot of ideas on how a person can become possessed. And one of those, what you said is, is quite interesting because, you know, anxiety, stress, fear, fear is the big one, right? I think anxiety and stress, are they root off of fear a lot of times. I think people, that's where a lot of people's uh, anxiety and stress comes from is from fear, fear of the future, fear of the past, what you may have done already, all those things, right? Depression. That's right. Um, it's all, it all comes, I think, you know, from fear. And if you're in a constant state of fear, which means you're, you have anxiety, you have, you, have, uh, you have stress, you have depression, it seems like, you know, you could be just broke down more and more and whittled down more and more until you, like what people say, you know, I, an idea of possession is that, you know, you no longer have any psychic defenses, um, therefore, you can be entered and be possessed like that, right? You can possession. Your body is now possessed. Your mind is now possessed. So, I wonder, you know, going on this idea that you said that if we are constantly maybe surrounded by uh, entities, let's say like this, that are constantly trying to bombard our body or our mind, and some people can hack it. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever been possessed. Hey, Amber, have I ever, ever been possessed before, do you think? It depends. <laughs> After a few beers, I've, maybe. Well, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen some scary stuff when you're trying to nail a picture on the wall and it's not working out. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> that's, you're right about that. Yep. But, but I think, the, you know, in reality is I don't feel I've ever been – I've ever had a situation happen to me where – I had no control, like like we were talking about, like you know, I know there's people that have had they had these experiences where they do disappear or they end up somewhere they don't even know where they're at and they don't remember two, three, four, five, six hours of their life. They don't remember what happened to them. So yeah, they're missing time. They're missing time, yeah. and maybe Which they that's were, also a UFO thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I wonder if this whole idea of possession simply is that is that all the time. In our, you know, in what we construct as our life, uh, this or this, where we're at right now in the universe, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, do we always have? I, I think about it like, you know, like modern day, what people consider modern day hackers, people trying to compromise people's websites and company websites and stuff like that. People are constantly doing that. I mean, if you watch how web traffic works, people are constantly trying to break into 
systems, right? It's the same exact idea that, that, that I'm seeing in my mind with this is that perhaps we're surrounded uh, all the time by spirits that have less than nice intentions for us, the living folks, right? And they're constantly trying to find a way in to compromise my body or your body or Amber's body and our minds too, and eventually take over. And then you have a case like the little Philippine, like, like the Filipino child who is disappearing randomly, right? Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah, and and I it, frankly I believe that uh, that you know hauntings are from both or either uh, disembodied uh, human uh, spirits that are earthbound yeah. that are not able to go on and and demonic entities uh, that take various forms can look any way any way they want. The, the difficult thing with with ghosts and uh, is that a, a demon can masquerade. You know, and uh, they do masquerade as spirits of the deceased. So you can't mess with this stuff. I I remember back, as I mentioned back in the 70s when I was looking into these things, I went into one house in Binghamton, New York, with a person who was uh, helping me with this research. He was an a, a associate professor at the State University of New York at Binghamton. Yeah. And um, stupidly, to try to find out who was there, in this haunted apartment, uh, we used a Ouija board, and uh, and at one point the uh, the whole not too far into the whole thing, the the room, uh, the apartment really just turned ice cold. I mean, it, the temperature dropped like twenty degrees. I went over to the thermostat, looked at it. It was in the it was in the I believe fifties or lower sixties. And then I was thrown across the room, literally. I mean, oh, wow. I should say carried across the room because I, I landed on, you know, on my, uh, on my feet. But I was just whisked across the whole room, and the fellow with me uh, said that my, you know, my feet were off the, the floor, and I was just <laughs> suddenly across, across the room. So it wasn't That's like a violent throwing. You just kind of were, well, you said whisked across the yeah. room. Uh, but it but it made its point, and uh, <laughs> you know, and and the chill was unmistakable. And I've had other yeah. things like that occur uh, during these investigations. Uh, it's it's definitely scary. I mean, I and I think you know people that are active in the ghost hunting community uh, in the field. I think there is this idea, and Amber Amber, she's seen this happen to me before anyway, so you can agree. I'm talking about myself. I think there's this idea that, you know, well, we're going to go out and we're going to, you know, like our buddy Doug, who used to be a host of this show. One of the things he said years ago that stuck with me is people use the term ghost hunting, ghost hunting, 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 right? Um, which obviously the term hunting has its own connotation. It means its own thing. Uh, he used to say, uh, you know, I'm not a hunter of these things. I just want to observe, right? I just want to possibly see something observe something and but with that being said i think some people are you know that are in this you know that work in the field the, the ghost hunting field uh whether they're you know celebrities or not celebrities there's this idea that well i'm not scared i'm not supposed to be scared and to be quite frank the older i get the more i'm like like you said i mean i i am still fascinated with this stuff i still you know Obviously, I'm active with things with, with this field and this community, uh, but I am okay with myself being scared sometimes about things. If, if, if I'm exposed to something that I feel I don't feel comfortable with, I'm not going to lie to myself and try to put on the hard guy face and say I'm not scared. I'm just going to say, look, I'm scared. I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't do that now. And, you know, really, like you already said that, you know, Maybe people shouldn't be messing with this stuff. It's an idea, at least, right? Well, I, I, I'll tell you right now. I, I warn people strongly not to not to look uh, into this stuff. I think go, uh, the ghost hunters I watch on TV are very foolhardy and very unknowledgeable. I, they think they got a uh, grasp on things. They have nothing of the sort, and they don't know what's going to happen uh, five or ten years down the road in their lives because these spirits uh, can attach to you. And uh, they don't show themselves for, they've got all the time in, the, in, in eternity. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I, I, I would never revisit 
what I did when I was young and foolish. I would never do these things again um, unless it was to go in there and, and, and try to help as far as expelling, but not to just observe, not to not to raise the spirits, because that's very dangerous. And they attach themselves to people in ways that you just don't imagine and you don't recognize, because they could be very subtle psychologically. Yeah, and how do you know? Uh, the studying the ghost, in the in studying ghosts, and we've said this a gazillion times on this show, and we'll keep saying it over and over again. Um, it's the only field. Well, I don't know if I've ever painted it this way, Amber. Let me know if I've painted it this way. I, you know, studying ghosts is the only you know field out there, really, or one of the only fields out there where you can know everything and still not know anything at the exact same time. I mean, really, right. it, it's the most experienced people out there. And believe me, I have a lot of respect. There's a lot of people out there who have been studying this stuff for many years, and I respect them. But they're the first ones to say the same thing, like, I, you probably know more than I do. <laughs> I just have been to a lot of places, you know. So really, yeah. And I'm not shooting a, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on, you know, I'm totally on the fence here. I'm looking at both sides of this thing. Uh, but it is an interesting idea or, you know, way to look at that where it's like, perhaps maybe we should, curiosity, I know, is very, very, very interesting. I mean, I know people are curious and they want to know what happens after we die. It's the great cosmic question we have out there. It's the, I think it's, is, you know, what is the big question people would want to ask? What's that? What happens after we die? So that's why you have people that are, uh, trying to understand and get answers to this stuff. And perhaps, yeah, m- maybe like you said, maybe it's something we shouldn't, it's just something we shouldn't mess around with. I don't know. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just like, uh, I'm sure you've gone over this in your previous shows, but I mean, just like they can attach to people and uh, if not just to, uh, and go further and even possess people, they also, you know, spirits that are still lingering that are deceased spirits and not uh, demonic spirits, they're uh, attached to a person or to a thing. To uh, they can be attached to an antique. They can be attached oh, yeah. to a house, yeah. to a car. Yeah. There have been cur- there's cursed cars. The famous case of the of James Dean car. I think uh, you're reading yeah. my mind because I was going to ask you about that, Michael. <laughs> you know, ha- haunted it, cars. It, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't, it, I didn't uh, you know, you, you just you, you know, you're 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 totally right. You don't know what you're dealing with, yeah. and uh, and. Uh, you know that's why you you better be extremely extremely careful and uh, and not to not get uh, overly wound up in it. So but, uh, I have heard this story. You, you you mentioned that a second ago. Um, I don't know. Haunted. I want to know about James Dean. I don't well, know that I was story. Ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James James Dean. Well, well, I mean, we all know how James Dean died. I don't. He died in a car accident. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, I think I'm right. Right, Michael. I mean, I'm not a huge James Dean guy, but yeah, he did die in a car accident. Correct. That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. he he used to race cars, and uh, and uh, he was even warned before that by uh, a, a friend of his that that that, that uh, I forget which actor it was, but a famous actor said that I see you uh, dying in a in a in a crash, and it was soon after that. But anyway, that the, yeah. the to the point to your point. Um, this car, I think it was called a Viper or something like that. I, I, I'm probably wrong on that, and I, I don't have the best memory anymore. But uh, not only did Dean die, but then uh, uh, other people who were in any, any way connected to it also uh, would be injured or, or, or died, including when they, they chop-shopped it into parts, and, and people who had the parts ended up uh, having serious accidents or even uh, fatalities as a result. Um, I mean, there were just there were so many examples of it that it's way beyond coincidence. Even the even the police, I think, in the end acknowledged it, and no one wanted to have anything to do with it. Why was it originally uh, cursed? Uh, what happened before Dean uh, purchased it? I I don't know, and I don't yeah. think anyone does. Yeah, it was but, a Porsche. Uh, something was, a, was attached to it. It was a Porsche 550 Spider. Spider. That, yeah, spider. It was a spider. You were yeah. close. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and that was so. What you said, what you said, though, is, I mean, yeah. Even after his death, people were experiencing stuff who were who had contact with the vehicle. Correct. Yes, uh, and and I mean not just uh, two or three, but virtually everyone who came in touch with it. You know, they they would uh, 
whether they had tires from the car, they'd get an accident uh, from it, whether it parts of the motor and, and so forth. It was just incredible. It, I, I have no idea why something was uh, attached to it, but it could have... It was probably something that was occultic. Uh, there was some type of uh, cultic thing on it. It was, by the way, it was Alec Guinness who warned him. Uh, okay. Out, outside a restaurant, and this of course goes back to 1950s to 1955. But uh, uh, you know, it, it it makes Christine that movie by uh, oh, by uh, well, Stephen King come yeah. to life for you. Uh, it, based on something that that actually. Uh, occurred and it's not the only car that's ever been cursed either so was yeah one allegedly uh that was owned by the austrian archduke uh, franz ferdinand and his wife sophie okay we we just saw the car kennedy was shot in oh at yeah the, at the henry, yeah. henry henry ford, ford museum henry, in dearborn yeah, right. and I, I can't help but think like oh god if people were driving that car around like oh the energy left behind on that like there's yeah. no no well i mean it's an and it was creepy just standing in front of it just knowing well, what yeah, happened. Knowing, you know, that, well, knowing what happened. Yeah, you have that. history that Yeah, is, you can just see that, that film going in your head of Kennedy getting thing, shot, right? and, and there's the car right in front of you where that but, happened. In this case, uh, you know, like I, I say in a book here, and I'm, I'm just quoting from the book now, is that one man um, who was in, the, in a vehicle powered by that, uh, that engine, that spider engine, lost control during a race he hit a tree killed instantly a second man bought the drivetrain was in the same race was injured severely when his car suddenly locked up and rolled over two tires from dean's car blew out simultaneously and and if that wasn't enough thieves who tried to strip the car were injured as they attempted to strip it so uh stay away from from that piece of metal i wonder you know and as i was thinking i mean this would apply to kennedy's car also as far as you know why you're you works you there's all these horrible experiences after the fact with the same you know vehicle as you said michael if there's some type of imprint that's put on there we talk about residual hauntings and stuff all the time i wonder if like that imprint and i mean i'm really just shooting blanks <laughs> i'm shooting darts here everywhere um but like I wonder if like that situation with James Dean where that wreck was horrific and maybe you know I mean there's no way to really know what was going through his mind when that accident was happening we're talking about literal seconds here right um what he may have experienced there's no way for anybody to really know that but what if he his mind may have imprinted something on that environment which would be the vehicle itself and maybe it isn't something nice maybe it is you know anger maybe it's frustration i'm trying to think of what may have been going through his mind or he, he may have not even known what happened to him right there's a I lot bet. of ways to look at it but go ahead go ahead i'm sorry well, i'm just saying i mean but what if he did you know you know the car's rolling and or i think he did the car did roll uh and maybe he did see you know, in his mind. He's going, "Oh my God, what an idiot I am! What the hell's wrong?" And you know, you just the whole frustration. You get mad, right? And I wonder if you could imprint that or that may have been imprinted on that vehicle. And I think it had to have gone uh, beyond that too, Scott. To be honest with you, okay. You know, when I, I uh, years ago I met this uh, flight attendant named Beverly uh, Raposo. She came to one of my retreats. I give retreats around the country. And she had been on that Eastern Airlines uh, Flight 401 that crashed in 72, 1972. Okay. It was, it was the subject of that famous book by Fuller, um, uh, The Ghost of Flight 401, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, here, here you had parts that were divvied up, and, uh, and uh, the planes that had some of the parts in them afterwards, because the, the plane really, a lot of it was intact, uh, would report apparitions, you know, apparitions of the flight crew, the pilot, the uh, the flight engineer, and so forth. So it seems like spirits attach. And, and I think in the case of Dean's car, it was a demonic attachment. Uh, why, who cursed it, why they cursed it, who knows. Uh, you know, whether or not uh, somebody cursed Dean or, or, or whether he was involved in the occult, yeah. we don't know. Something went on there that uh, has not met the eyes. It seems weird to me 
I mean, you're talking about flight, the flight 401 thing, um, that they would reuse parts. I mean, I guess, I guess economically it makes sense. If we got a working part still, let's not just throw it out. Let's use it somewhere else as a spare part. I get that, right? It just seems weird. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Any, it just seems weird to me. I don't, well, I don't, when my when my Taurus got crashed years ago, there was another Taurus of the same make and model where the front end was crashed in, but not the back end. My back end was crashed in. They cut off the trunk and put it on my car. So, I mean, well, stuff gets reused like that. Yeah, but there wasn't a death involved with that. I don't, I don't know that, though. Oh, with well, the other I car. don't know, yeah. Well, did I've, you experience any apparitions in your Taurus no, when you were driving No, but it around? was never the same after that. Oh, it was never the same? No. Well, it was a smash. Some, some one, one of the guys working on the car actually left a tool in, like, my tire or something weird. What? what? And, yeah, the car wasn't working right, and my grandpa brought it back, and, and the guy's like, that's where the tool went. And there was just something in there that wasn't supposed to be left in there, so they covered the cost of us bringing it in. But well, that's not yeah, a curse. I, I, that's just stupidity. No, it's just stupidity. But I don't know. I, it was never the same. But hey, when you have to have half your car put back on and whatever. But I mean, just an example. Well, yeah. Cars get reused. Okay, for parts. And, and fine. Okay. Especially with a plane, way more expensive. Yeah, I'm just saying that it just seems to me. Maybe it's just my perception. If you have a plane that went down. And X amount of people died in the crash. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, it's a business. I, I have to Money. think a little bit more cold about the yep. situation and say, look, we got $150,000 worth of parts here that are still salvageable. Let's use them as spare parts on yep. our planes now. I, I guess that, that's just the way I have to look at it from a business standpoint. It just seems kind of weird to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. What well, the- look what they do with organs. And, and there are. I talked to one scientist in Arizona who claims through research, and he presents a couple uh, very interesting examples that people who have received organ transplants have taken on the characteristics of those uh, of the donors without even knowing them, without having no clue. Uh, somebody who's a, a health food fanatic suddenly likes McDonald's, you know, and uh, that that may sound like a joke, but that actually happened. No, that does uh, happen. Yeah, I, I... you know, so so. I don't know. I mean, that can be, like you say, kind of an imprint, or that the that the spirit is kind of still uh, lingering and uh, attached to things. Just like I'm not a big fan of antique stores because I don't know what you're what you're coming home with. Uh, I I think you better. Uh, I'm I'm Christian, so I I I pray, but something. Yeah. But yeah, I'd be careful with that stuff and and uh, and uh, make sure that it's uh, blessed is the way I would put it. Okay. Yeah, I know there's there's something to be well, we've I don't know if we talked about that recently here, but I've always been fascinated with the journey something, you know, like an object goes on, right? And there's been movies made on this very idea. There's a film called The Red Violin, for example, which is a beautiful movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh but it's about a Stradivarius violin that kind of travels through hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, and you kind of see its journey and where it ends up at, right? And I you know yeah I kind of have that same aversion sometimes with things in in antique stores the same way Michael I'm more interested in like the journey how did it end up on this shelf <laughs> you know and but what that means is like it does go back to that paranoia you're talking about though Michael where it's like okay well, what was this thing's journey it's really interesting but what was this thing's journey is this thing cur- I mean let's just use the term is this thing cursed it, could this thing be cursed, and am I bringing something into my house that could be really, really bad and give me problems? I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird thing, but we do hear about that though too. And there's people that that's all they do is deal with, you know, haunted antiques. Like that's what they that they they just deal with objects, not people or or buildings. They just deal with lamps and things like that, right? Yeah, I mean we. We have a website called spiritdaily.com, yes. and so we get a lot of emails. And I remember getting a very involved email from somebody who who was in an, an old home in New England in Massachusetts and just a horrifying uh, haunting until they got rid of this one bed in particular, an antique bed. Um, so spirits attached, there are, uh, there's curses. You know, things are cursed, people are cursed, and places are cursed. So... That's my belief, anyway. So, uh, yeah. call it what I, I don't understand the mechanics of, of the supernatural. No one does, but but uh, something is operating. 
John Tenney, uh, who's a buddy of ours and who's been on the show before, he has a podcast, Realm of the Weird. And on one of his episodes, he talks about a family who I think they'd go into their garage and they were just like angry. They couldn't explain why. Uh, oh, they just go and they'd be fine. And then something go in the like that. And anyway, long story short, because I'm not going to remember, remember everything. But through doing research and finding out who built their garage or house or where they got their materials, he found out that they were upcycled materials from one of the local asylums that got disassembled. Oh, God. And so it was built with that old asylum wood. And then you think about the energy and things that get, get left behind in those places. And so they removed that wood that they knew was used. And again, I'm, I don't remember all the details. I, but, just, I would have control burned that right, thing out. I mean, like, dude, right. I'm not even going to try to find but the wood. Some, but whatever it was, they removed the, the issue and, and they, they actually felt better after that. But uh, yeah, I... I, I I'd have to go back and listen to that podcast for details. But yeah, it's, it's sim- similar to what you know you guys were just talking about. So another selection from your book, Michael. Um, I just wrote, we wrote down here, when Stanford scientists encounter a phantom, which that line alone intrigues the heck out of me. Um, could, we, uh, could we talk about this for a second, Michael? Well, that had to do with Uri Geller, you oh. know, the, the famous uh, yeah, uh, yeah. psychic from, uh, the famous psychic from uh, Israel. Spoonbender. And he was being uh, he was being studied at Stanford Research Institute as well as other places, including under contract. These places were with the CIA. There's no question about that. The, the uh, uh, just a few years ago, documents came out about it uh, under Freedom of Information, showing this was in, uh, the CIA was indeed investigating him. There's no question about it. Um, and in one of the cases. Um, there was one of the physicists and his wife were home on a Saturday afternoon, <clears throat> excuse me, after, uh, during the Uri Geller investigation while they were testing him. And all of a sudden in the middle of the room, there was like this, there was a disembodied arm in a black sleeve, excuse me, <clears throat> that was rotating nearly like on a rotisserie. It's very bizarre. It obviously upset them. It looked like a hologram. Yeah. And uh, and they told people, and and it created a a, a, a stir. And the CIA uh, caseworker, uh, he was a physicist himself, named uh, Don Curtis. Um, uh, excuse me, I got his name wrong. The the guy who saw this was Don Curtis. Okay. The CIA uh, uh, fellow was a, a Dr. Green, but he he got he got disturbed to the same. What do you, what, what is this uh, crazy stories going around? And he took a, he met in a in a motel room with two of the lead physicists, Doctor Putoff and Doctor Russell Targ, to complain about this story getting around. And while they were talking about this, the the uh, there was a bang on a door. It wasn't like a knock. The door opened, and in came this man without introducing himself in a, in a black suit. And he just, he strode around the room in kind of a circle. And uh, and uh, they noticed that one of his sleeves was kind of empty, as if he had an artificial arm in there. And when he looked closer, there was a hook coming out of it. Oh. Uh, uh, as if he was missing an, an arm. And uh, and he, he left, he, they were stunned. He he walked out the door and they raced after him and he was nowhere to be seen. Uh, so uh, that was a case where a CIA caseworker, Dr. Kick Green, as well as these the, these two Stanford Research Institute physicists, um, saw a uh, you know a, a, what, what appeared to have been a, a phantom that had a flesh and blood, if you will. I mean, uh, had had materialized in their midst. What did that mean? No one knows. Again, no one has any idea, including Uri Geller. I mean, I interviewed him, and he doesn't know what's going on with his own abilities. He he has, I think, uh, no idea. At some at some points, he thought it was extraterrestrials. Uh, I I witnessed phenomena with uh, Uri Geller. Okay. In his in his apartment in uh, in New York, the materialization of a uh, of a small rock that crashed into the room. Um. And he would he was jumping up and down saying, "See, these things always happen around me. These things always happen." But he didn't know, uh, uh, he didn't know the origin of that rock, and he didn't know the 
etiology of it, if you will. Uh, yeah. Uh, you had no, no clue. When you say materialize, I'm just curious. Does, I, I mean, obviously I know what materialize means, but it, I mean, does this something like a rock you said, for example, does that literally materialize in front of your eyes or is it just something that kind of falls in the air and kind of hits the ground or something like that? Well, in this case, I didn't see it materialize in front of my eyes. You know, okay. it wasn't like the people who were watching Cornelio Close disappear in front of their eyes, you know, while they're staring at him. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are people who certainly have seen that type of materialization. In this case, it was just across the room where it smashed into this beautiful antique uh, chessboard that Geller had. And I can't imagine why he'd want to damage a, uh, and talk about antique, that was probably an antique chessboard. Uh, why he'd want to damage that to impress a cub reporter from a newspaper in yeah. upstate, uh, upstate New York, but I didn't see it actually uh, formulate in front of my uh, in front of my eyes. Well, let's see here: um, haunted forest and roads. Well, those are <laughs> that's like <laughs> there's plenty of those. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a big one. But these are these are in the book. I mean, I'm curious what you uh, what you experienced or what you what you researched on this, Michael. Well, one in particular in New Jersey, you probably heard of Clinton Road. No, um, no, no, tell us, please. Clinton Road is, um, you know, you'll. It's like a number of roads. It's like old Route six 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 out to New Mexico, Utah, uh, Colorado, uh, and like some other places, even other roads in, in New Jersey. But Clinton Road is the most famous I know of in the United States. Um, with the possible exception of Route 666. But um, Clinton Road, which is in, I think it's Somerset County. It's in the northern part of, of New Jersey, not too far from Saddlebrook. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people report all kinds of things, whether it's an apparitions of, of, uh, of ghostly apparitions, or whether it's UFOs, whether it's strange creatures, uh, and, and Phantom vehicles. You know, spirits can create any kind of hologram they want or any kind of situation. I don't think they're just holograms. I think they can actually materialize objects. Um, but I, I drove down it um, uh, when I was in nor northern uh, New Jersey, and I did it during the daytime. But uh, uh, this the pickup truck that's described in some of these accounts uh, uh, came up the road. I mean, it didn't... Uh, I didn't realize it till it flashed by us. My daughter said, there's that uh, truck they talk about. Um, you know, <laughs> there, who knows why? There's people who say the mob uh, buried bodies there. Other people say there's Indian burial mounds there. Other people say Satanists uh, had cult activities there. And maybe it's all of the above. You know, there seem to be certain power spots around the world. Yeah. You take, you know, that forest in Transylvania, whether it's a, uh, a spot here or there where where uh, strange things occur. And you'll see everything from Bigfoot to a werewolf. You know, you think of that Bigelow Ranch uh, there oh, in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've probably heard about. Yeah, oh, yeah. Skinwalker. You know, you're, you're talking uh, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And, uh, and the same is true. I interviewed recently... Um, a ranger at the Navajo reservation in Arizona, um, and uh, he 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 used a full time he and he and a partner. Their full time job as detectives were were to investigate haunted situations on the reservation and UFOs and things like that. And he he saw all of the above, you know, from from uh, big feet <laughs> to UFOs above to uh, being pelted with uh, big objects uh, and. And and, uh, and and so forth. And he uh, he thought it was all the same force, just a deceptive uh, force that was uh, kind of playing around with human beings and sometimes not playing uh, serious business, rather. Well, it often comes up, I know, in our conversations, and you did mention this uh, a second ago. I mean, I, I believe there are places of power on this planet. I've been saying this for a while. I, it's something I, you know, I think that a lot of this stuff, like ghosts, and maybe even you know, the Sasquatch, Bigfoot, uh, UFOs. I mean, a lot of these things, they may be a part of a greater force in nature that we just don't understand, right? Especially in certain areas on the planet. I firmly believe. Well, I mean, just 
just the the water alone on our planet. I mean, it's true that we really haven't even scratched the surface on places on water exploration because it's frankly just too deep in some areas to go. We just can't get that deep without dying, right? So there's a lot on this planet that we don't really understand, and not that not along with the water. There's also just areas we can't get to. You, you can't get into. They're covered with so many trees you can't see anything. And who knows? What could be there? What could be a part of those environments? What power may be there? And I'm not talking about Indiana Jones stuff or anything like that. But, I mean, you hear about all these sightings in certain areas, you know, in forests or on certain roads. I mean, I think pound for pound and amber, tell me if, if I'm wrong on this, I think haunted roads may be one of the most reported things, like as far as parent, like ghost stories are concerned, is like the haunted roads and things like that. There seems like there's just hundreds and hundreds of ghost stories about haunted roads, right? I think so. I think think about how much time we spend on roads, so you're going to have a, that many more reports about things. I, I think with roads, there's a lot of similarities throughout the world in the United States, uh, especially with the ghostly hitchhikers. Yeah. Like they're very similar in appearance. Um, it's not like they're always seeing something crazy and unique and different. There's a lot of repetitive type haunts and things that people experience on roads. Yeah. Uh, but no. And, yeah, and I think it's something that has to do, like like I said, there's a, with how much we drive, you're naturally going to have a higher amount of experiences, I think, when well, it comes to that. I don't think it's only just the driving. Well, there I might, think it's the act of dri- uh, what you're doing when you're sure, driving. Sure, there's maybe you're an focused. energy also left behind in on roads. Well, yeah, that's that's another interesting way to look at it, too. But what I was thinking was more the act of driving itself. I mean, I think a lot of people have a lot of different experiences when they drive. Just drive. Let's put the paranormal stuff aside for a second. Well, think, think how your brain sort of just shifts into auto mode. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're, you're, well, that and that's not necessarily good. And everyone's driving around like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> some but some people are hyper-focused, though, too. Sure. Some people are very defensive when they drive. They're hyper focused all the time. They got about fifteen cups of coffee in them if they're doing like a long haul or something like Looking that. Looking at their phone. Well, yeah, that's uh. that's not even talk about that. Uh. I'm talking about the people that are actually focused on the road, yeah. <laughs> not the people playing on their phones. Um, so, I mean, what I'm what my point is with that, at least with this thing, is you're you know, and like Amber said, you're on the roads a lot. People do do a lot of driving. Maybe that's why we do have all these experiences is because people are really looking what they're supposed to be. That, that, we, that does have to be mentioned a million times over here. I, I, you're supposed to be paying attention to the road when you're driving. Right? <laughs> so Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case with Clinton Road. Clinton Road's not that long. Yeah. Uh, and the phenomena is just too extraordinary. Okay. And I, and I think that's the case at, uh, with some other stretches, too. But I, I, you make a point. Uh, I think there are, are spots, though, that are meta-dimensional, that, yeah. uh, or vortices or whatever. Um, and also, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, my allergies kicking up, and so in a minute I'm going to take care of those. But um, <laughs> we, we, we have no idea um, what, was, what was done on property. I mean, uh, we don't even know what Indians did, let alone Paleo-Indians. Yeah. Uh, what about Indians 10,000 years ago? Um, you know, in Europe, uh, Cro-Magnon man or Neanderthals or whatever. We don't know what was done at, uh, that could have left a quote imprint unquote or a spirit. Uh, 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 uh. So it's uh, I, I do know one thing that Indian burial mounds, uh, and I'm sure you know this too, in this in in in, in North America, uh, are come up constantly as. Uh, as a connection with uh, severely haunted circumstances. Yes. And, uh, and it's, um, uh, frankly, because there was paganism practiced and there were cursy, uh, curses leveled against the intruders, the European uh, explorers and so forth who were coming in. And uh, once again, you're getting into curse. So I think that there's curse land. I think there's places where uh, burials enter into it and just... Uh, a lot of things interweave and create all kinds of phenomena. But when you hear, you know, when you hear of uh, uh, a Bigfoot being spotted and then uh, this, uh, disappearing in some cases in front of people's eyes, yeah. that's not a cryptid. That's that's a spirit. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, people have said that too. I mean, sure. that's been. I mean, it's one of the most hilarious. I think. Um, I, mean, I shouldn't say it's hilarious. It is hilarious because when, when I first heard it, I cracked up. Because a lot of people are saying that now that they're saying that Bigfoot. Bigfoot's a ghost. It's a ghost. 
Or it's, or it's an inter- interdimensional traveler. That's why you see it disappear and reappear, because it's going somewhere else. footprints just go, boom, vanish. Well, yeah, just, that's just all too convenient, though, too. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that idea. But I do think that's interesting, though, uh, that people that that idea has been put forth. I thought it was funny when I first heard it. But, yeah, it could be just, like, we, like I said a minute ago, is it just this force of nature or something we don't really understand? So who knows? Well, go ahead. Well, you, you, know, you have, you have 300, at least 300 lakes in North America where people claim lake monsters. And where's the evidence? You know, where's something to put under a microscope? You're going to tell me that every one of them is so deep that you'll never see it, like the lock in in uh, Scotland. I, I, you know, it doesn't make much sense. And even at Loch Ness, we have to remember that one of the most famous occultists in history uh, uh, had his cottage there for a reason, and uh, used to conjure the the creature allegedly uh, through supernatural means, through ritual. Was that Alistair um, Crowley? Are you talking about or? Do you remember who that was? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Alistair Crowley. Was it him? Okay. Yeah, it was Crowley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, why is that? Why would uh, why would a prehistoric uh, remnant still... And, and the same thing is, is true that uh, Mokale Mabembe or whatever it is in in, uh, in the Congo. I mean, that's in voodoo territory, uh, deep voodoo territory. And it causes tremendous terror. There's, nev- there's no physical evidence of it ever. Um, same thing in places along the Amazon. I interviewed a, a, a fellow who's a missionary down there. And in uh, New Guinea, uh, where you'll have creatures that appear and disappear and reappear again, causing uh, stenches and so forth that once again bring us full circle back to the demonic. Yeah. So got to be careful um, because, I mean, it's it's, Curiosity can kill the cat, and it's it's all very curious. It's very fascinating and intriguing, but uh, that can be a a snare. That can be a trap. Yeah, it's it all comes down to just that. And I mean, I personally am I'm still curious. I'm still asking questions. I'm still trying to learn about stuff. Uh, But I mean, maybe it's just a type of person too. I've said this also. Maybe this is a bit off color, but. Maybe some people, I think a lot of people want to, I've always said people that want to be in charge are usually the ones who are least qualified to be in charge of certain things. I see that all the time, right? This could be the same type of thing, though, as far as like diving into this stuff is maybe some people like maybe, you know, if you're curious, I get that, right? But if you're like you were talking about using a Ouija board and stuff like that earlier, um, I, that's something I don't want to do. <laughs> I'm curious about things. I want to. I want to learn things if I can, uh, but I don't think I want to push it too far. I don't want to endanger myself, and I think that you really can be endangered by stuff. I think all the stuff we talked about kind of falls into that. Like, okay, is this just going too far? And finally, discovering something you don't want to discover. I mean, I don't know, but it's it's interesting to think about, though. Yeah. And uh, if I were Zach Bagans, if that's how you pronounce his name, I'd be very, really careful with that that museum he's got there in Las Vegas because uh, you're asking for trouble. You know, you are asking for trouble when you're bringing things in that, that Charles Manson owned, when you're bringing stuff in from famous haunted uh, situations. You are... Uh, you are asking for trouble, and I, I and uh, I, I don't advise people to go near this this uh, these these type um, places that are allegedly uh, haunted uh, to stay clear of of uh, haunted houses, uh, you know, ones that really are supposedly have a ghost attached to them because yeah. they can attach to you. I hate to give Zach Bagans any lip service, to be honest with you, but <laughs> I did want to I did want to mention. I thought I saw something like today or yesterday. Didn't he just buy another thing? Like a, you know, and I'm I just looked on my ticker real quick to see if I could find something, uh, and I'm I thought it was something to do with Manson. Like so he, he did. I, he he bought, purchased. I saw that too, and now I'm not remembering what it was. I'm surprised if you Googled it, it didn't just come up. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now, and I don't see anything. But it was he something, had something like, with Manson's blood in it, um, uh, on it, and uh, he had his. Uh, I I think he had his ashes. Oh really? Um, but uh, you know, you'll have to check me on that. He had a couple different things that were 
involved in, in Manson case, and, and I, I think it's crazy. Actually, this was in That's July. This was in July. Um, mm-hmm. Charles Manson Murder House sold the Ghost Adventures. Oh, God, TMZ. What the? What am I doing on this well, one? They're gross. Um, okay. Yeah, the Ghost Adventures starved. <laughs> Michael's a journalist too. I'm probably just like <laughs> making him cringe beyond all cringe. Well, not right everything now. TMC posts is. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was July. Uh, Manson Murder House sold to Ghost Adventures star. So it was the Manson Murder House. Ooh, yay, great. That sounds wonderful. Oh, that's a moneymaker for him. Well, yeah. Well, when you're in that business, you, that's what you can do. Sorry, we're not going to say any <laughs> nope, more about nope, Zach nope, here. Nope. Michael, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Really, well, thank, thank you. you. This was so much and, fun. And, and, and by the way, just look, he's got a few more things from Manson, too. And it's creepy. But anyway, thank you for having me. No, I'm going to look that up now, because I mean, <laughs> I, I try. I don't really pay attention to the guy. Take <laughs> right. a look. There's something, there's, I think it was some that somebody had used his ashes uh, for some painting or whatever. But take a look. Yeah. Oh, I God. think I'll definitely do that. <laughs> thank you, though. Thank you again, Michael. This is great. I'd love to have you come back on again sometime. Well, thank you, Scott and Amber. Ghostly Talk! Ah, ah, ah. Thank you, Thank you,